chapter 16, beginning at verse number 21. From that time, Jesus began to show to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things from the elders, chief priests, and scribes, and be killed and be raised the third day. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross, follow me. Whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man will come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he will reward each according to his works. Assuredly, I say to you that there are some standing here who shall not taste death till they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Amen. This is God's word. I want to preach to you this morning on this subject, come die with me. You know, I was thinking this week about how odd it would be if churches advertised to their communities what Jesus advertised to his community. I mean, think about it. Come to our church, and here you will find purpose and fulfillment and meaning. You will find financial peace. You will get some expert advice on relational health, marital intimacy. And of course, our favorite radio station wants to keep it positive and encouraging. <laughs> or as the largest church in America would say, we have come to help you understand how to experience your best life now. Now I want you to take that thought, that idea of what is so prevalent among churches, this self-help, psychological babble, this let's uh, guide you, let's, you know, coddle you, so to speak. Let's make sure that you're 100% comfortable here at church because if you're not comfortable and the coffee's not right and the pad and pews are not exactly the way they should be or, or the message doesn't suit you, fine, that's okay because fortunately we live in a, such a city that there's a thousand churches on every little neighborhood and when you find one that doesn't suit it exactly like you're comfortable with, well, just write it off and go to a different one because you'll be able somewhere along the line to find a message that satisfies what you may be looking for. This is absolutely not what Jesus said to his disciples. In fact, can you imagine if I put this out on the sign out front here, 
come to River City to die. I'm not exactly sure how much of a marketing campaign this would be. I'm not exactly sure how successful this would be. But I guess I'm kind of wondering, the more that I think about it, am I really trying to be successful and am I really trying to be marketable? Or am I trying to communicate to our church what Jesus communicated to his disciples? In verse number 21, he says, from this time forward, I began to, he began to preach to his followers that he came to die and came to rise from the dead the third day. And then he turns right around to them and says, if you're going to follow me, you're going to have to get on a cross also. You're going to have to come die with me. That's the message of genuine discipleship. And i got to be honest with you, folks, the more and more that I'm around churches and the around pseudo-Christians, the more and more I am convinced that there are far too many people who are fans of Jesus and far too few people who are actual followers of Jesus. And this message presents to us really uh, Jesus' plan for his disciples. And and, and I know this is going to blow you away, but I've only got two things to say today. It may take me a while to say them, but I've only got two things to say today. The first thing is in verses 21 through 23, and that is that Jesus tells his disciple that the priority is his mission. Any true disciple of Jesus Christ has as his priority the mission of Jesus Christ. And Jesus shows us this by, first of all, announcing in verse 21... That from this moment forward, now, now again, what moment are we talking about? We just preached about this last Sunday. The moment was the moment where Jesus announced to Peter, based upon his confession of faith, that Christ was going to build his church based upon the teaching and the preaching of the apostles. So Peter says, you're Christ, and, uh, and you're the son of the living God, and, and Jesus says, that's exactly right. The Father has revealed this to you. And now you are Peter, and upon this rock I'm going to build my church. It's the greatest confession of faith in the Bible, coupled, no doubt, with the greatest promise that God was going to build his church in perpetuity through the ages, through the preaching of the apostles. Now, when he reveals this to to Peter and to the disciples, now, from that moment forward, he is going to begin to explain to them over and over and over again that ultimately this mission that I'm on has a destination, and that destination is the cross. It was a stated priority of our Lord. Folks, do I need to remind us this morning that the mission of Jesus Christ was Calvary. The mission of Jesus Christ was to die on the cross. The mission of Jesus Christ, come on, was to vacate the tomb three days later. And the mission of dying on the cross and the mission of being resurrected from the tomb was because the mission was you. 1 Timothy chapter 1 verse 15 says, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. I cannot think of a more encouraging verse in all the Bible. That Jesus Christ came to the world to save sinners. You want to know why that's such good news? Because all of us are sinners. So if you are a sinner, and you are, here's the good news. Christ came to save you. 
The Bible goes on to tell us in Mark's gospel, chapter number 10, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Why did Jesus come? To give himself as a sacrifice and a payment for the sins of the world. Or like Luke's gospel, chapter 19, verse 10 says, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. Boy, I'm thankful for that, aren't you? Because uh, being lost is what I was. Being blind was what I was. Being a sinner is what I was. On my way to hell is what I was. But Jesus came for that reason to rescue me on his mission of mercy. And he makes it very clear from this point forward in his ministry, this is why I came. And this is very important because the disciples, even up to this point, halfway through his time with them, almost two years into this, after all the miracles and all the amazing sermons he's preached, they still don't get it. You want to know why I know that? Look at verse number 22. So Jesus has just told Peter, I'm going to die. I'm going to rise again. Look what Peter says. Peter says, then took Peter him aside and began to rebuke him. Is that, I mean, just let that sink in for just a minute. This is the same guy who in the book of Acts chapter 10, God appears to him in a dream and lowers down the picnic basket from heaven and lays before him all of this non-kosher food to eat showing him that God is going to open up the way for the Gentiles. And Peter has the audacity to look back at the Lord through the vision and go, no, Lord, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to eat shrimp. I'm not going to eat bacon. Shows he didn't really know what was going on in life, okay? I'm not going to eat this stuff. I'm not going to do that. I've never touched that since the time that I was born. No, Lord, just think about the audacity. I'm not going to do that, God. But it's even worse is what is in this verse. He doesn't say, I'm not going to do that, God. He says, you're not going to do that, God. He begins to rebuke him. You can't do that. Why did Peter say this, guys? Why did Peter say, you can't do that? Because Peter believed that Jesus was ushering in a messianic kingdom. He believed that Peter, or that Jesus was ushering in a, 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 a utopian millennium that was going to uh, under, or excuse me, overthrow the Roman oppression. They believed that Messiah was going to disrupt Rome. They believed that Messiah was going to take over and establish a kingdom, and they were partially right. In fact, they were 100% right. The only difference is they didn't understand how this was going to come. You see, in Jesus' economy, there is no crown without a cross. There is no resurrection without death. There is no glory without humility. Yes, is Jesus the King of kings and Lord of lords? You better bet he is. Is Jesus going to rule and reign over all things for all of eternity? Absolutely, he is. But the way he was going to do that was he was going to die for a kingdom to purchase to himself, you and me, and then we were going to be a part of that kingdom for ever and ever and ever, but it wasn't going to happen until he died, shed his blood, and rose again from the dead. So look what Jesus says to Peter. This is great. Get behind me, Satan. I mean, he just said, you're Peter, and on this rock I'm going to build my church. I mean, right? Uh, can you imagine uh, the people that actually believe that Peter was the first pope? I don't know how they deal with this one right here. You're Satan. 
get behind me, okay? Uh, look, they love to read verse number 18, but fail to read verses 22 and 23. Peter wasn't the first pope. Peter uh, was maybe the first disciple, didn't have any brains, okay? That's what he was. And Peter says, God, you can't do this. You cannot do, you cannot do what you just said you're going to do because you've come to usher in the kingdom, so you can't die. This is not possible. Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Now, why did he say that? Think about this, guys. Why did Jesus say that to Peter? Was he literally calling him Satan? Of course not. He's not actually Satan. This is a metaphor. And he's, he's using the name Satan and the identity of Satan to draw a, a connection between something, watch this, between something that Jesus, or excuse me, that Peter and Satan have in common. And at this moment, when Peter says, you can't die, you're not going there, he shared something in common with Satan. And what was it? Satan loves to and tries to, in every way he can, disrupt the work of God. He will try to interfere. He will try to block. He will try to uh, undertake. He will try to move aside anything that God is trying to do. Everything that God tries to do in our lives and through our church, Satan will try to counterfeit it. Satan will try to destroy it. He will try to subvert it. He will try to block it. He's always trying to disrupt the work of God. And so when Jesus says to Peter, you are Satan, he's saying, if I don't die and I don't rise again from the dead, my work will not be accomplished. And that's Satan's plan, not God's plan. So I'm going to, watch this, stay on my mission. And now he's going to call Peter in just a minute to his mission. But I want you to stop and think about this with me for just a second. Jesus is not only, I believe, rebuking Peter. He's rebuking anyone that does not have the same priority of the mission that Jesus had. In fact, look at what he says at the end of verse 23. You are an offense to me. Watch this. You are not mindful of the things of God, but of the things of men. Now, in this context, what is Christ talking about? He's talking about the death, burial, resurrection, and mission of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know that there are such things as disciples that do not have that as the priority, the thing that they are most mindful of? the thing that is on their heart, the thing that is on their mind, the thing that consumes their lives. Hmm. I'm talking about the gospel, people. I'm talking about the thing that is a sideshow or a Sunday show for most of us, but it's not the main event. I'm talking about something we understand. I'm talking about something we talk about. I'm talking about something we can even articulate. I'm talking about something we believe. I'm talking about something that we say is dear to us. But for the most part of our lives, we're not mindful about it at all. Uh, how mindful were you over the last seven days? How conscious were you over the last seven days that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners? How on the front lobe was that to you? I mean, out of the 168 hours that God gave you last week, seven days, 24 hours a day, out of the last 168 hours of your life, of my life, 
How much mindfulness, how much attention did I give to the fact that Jesus died and was buried and rose again and did that for sinners? And I want to do everything I can to propagate his mission on this earth. i got to tell you, we're losing it in the church, folks. We're distracted. We're duplistic. We're sidelined, sidetracked, focused on everything else, our careers, our jobs, our lives, our recreation. And Christ is saying to us today, don't forget this. I came into the world to save sinners. So I'm going to tell you something. At River City Baptist Church, we're going to refocus the lens. If Jesus and the gospel are the priority in the church, it'll show up in two ways, very clearly. And when I say the church, I'm talking about you right now. I'm not talking about the building. I know that there is no church without gathering. I understand that. People say, we are the church. No, you're the church when you're gathered. That's when you're the church. You're a part of the church, but you are the church when you are gathered. So I'm talking about this gathered community called the church. This is one local expression of the global church right here. Y'all with me here? We gather together, and then we are scattered to sin. If the gospel is the priority at River City Baptist Church, you're going to know that in two ways. Two ways, okay? Number one, the people of that church will be spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. They will be preaching and teaching the gospel in the highways and hedges. They will be proclaiming Christ to people that they know. They will be talking about Christ. They will be looking for opportunities to preach Jesus in their schools, in their neighborhoods, in their workplaces, wherever they are graced to go. Hey, listen, if you are a genuine follower of Jesus Christ, every day is a mission trip. Every time I walk out of my house, it's a missions trip. Lord, help us. We get geared up for missions trip. We spend thousands of dollars to fly a thousand miles across the sea to go to Haiti or to go to South America or go halfway around the world to India or China, and we won't even cross the street to tell somebody about Jesus Christ in our backyard. Y'all with me here? Every day is a missions trip. And I just happen to be throwing a couple things out to you right here in the next few weeks that give you an opportunity to exercise an opportunity. Bring somebody to the night of hope. Give somebody the hope of the gospel. We're launching some things in the next three weeks that will give you some tools. I can't wait to share them with you that you're going to be able to use that are simple, that are easy. Preach Christ. Just Wednesday night, Asante was, was in his office after church, and, and we, we've created a video. We're releasing it in three weeks called Five Minutes That Could Change Your Life. And it's a simple gospel presentation. It's me preaching the gospel in five minutes on a video clip on YouTube. And I walked into Asante's office, and there they are here tonight, today. And he's there. The video's on the TV screen. There's like 12 guys huddled around the video, and they're listening to the gospel preach. I'm glad for Asante, who got saved four years ago at our church, got baptized at our church. And every day around here at River City Baptist Church is laboring to preach the gospel to the teenagers and children of Arlington. Aren't you glad for that? Man, I'm glad that the gospel's being thundered out of here all the time, all days, uh, every day that ends with a Y. I'm confident that we are preaching the gospel. I'm not confident that each of us individually have caught on to the mission of Jesus. The priority of Jesus' mission. The second way you'll know 
that your church is focused on the mission is by its money. I'm not talking about how much money those people give necessarily. I'm talking about how much of that church's money is given to the mission. And I'm doing diagnostics right now. And I start some presentations this afternoon with certain people sharing with them the vision that I'm going to cast for you on Mission Sunday. A radical, bold initiative of this church to send more of its dollars to preach the gospel around the world in our backyard. There are so many opportunities that are coming our way. One child was here, one more child was here last week, and I was so proud of our church for the swarming, literally, of their table. The, the man was overwhelmed with response that he doesn't normally get. I think some of us are getting it, right? Could there be a greater opportunity to give the gospel than to uh, have orphans and foster children come to our homes and hear about Christ or supply the mothers in the community with support and help and bedding and clothing and food? and a gospel in Jesus' name. There's public schools that reached out. I was just with Aaron just on, I think it was Friday or thir Thursday, I guess it was, over at the public school right here. We have a public school right here in our backyard in the principal's office, sharing the night of hope with them. We believe and expect that all of the administration and the teachers from that public school are going to be here on that Friday night to hear about the night of hope. Then they've asked me, literally, now this is amazing, every Wednesday morning at 8.30, I'm going to be on the video announcements of the public school. 360 kids, all faculty and staff are going to listen to me, invite them to church, tell them about Jesus, and tell them about this and that. I get to be there. Y'all ain't even listening to me, I don't think. Every Wednesday morning, preaching Christ in a public school right here, and that's where we're going, folks. In about four weeks, we got, um, we got the opportunity to go and reach the children. The Sidewalk Fun Day School, I'm amped up about this, 3.30 to 4.30 on four Thursdays in a row, a, a, a ministry that's begging churches to just get involved. And it's, there, there are more opportunities than I could ever even dream or imagine. I'm telling you, man, they're just starting to fly our way. So we're going to participate in them. But guess what? We're going to start giving to them more and more and more and more. And right now, as our church stands, I'm going to start talking about this over the next three weeks. So please bear with me here. Over the next three weeks, I'll be talking about this. you got these cards in your seat back pocket. I don't, this is not my long-term vision for River City, is that we have to take up extra mission commitments every year. Right now, that's the way this church has, has been established. So we, we, in addition to tithing, give to missions. And this is an opportunity for you in about three weeks to, to make a commitment to God that, hey, I'm going to give X amount of dollars a month or X amount of dollars a week for the gospel, and every penny of that goes to preaching the gospel. But I envision a day where we're doing less of these commitments and more of just percentages of our general income that go to the preaching of the gospel and less operations and less coddling people on this campus and more preaching Jesus around the world. It's the priority of Jesus' mission. Would you take some time over the next three weeks and take one of these cards with you and pray about God maybe using you to give a little bit more. Some of you already do this. Many of you do. But maybe you'll reconfirm what you already give. Or maybe you'll increase what you give. Or maybe you'll start. I'm amazed at how many new people are coming to church here. It's exciting. But we got to all catch on to the vision of Jesus' mission. Okay, so that's number one. The priority of Jesus' mission. Number two. 
See, I told you it's two points, but I didn't tell you, I didn't promise you they were going to be short. Number two, the call of Jesus' followers. So he gives you the priority of Jesus' mission now. Now he's going to tell you, now this is what this means for you, okay? Look at this in verse 24. Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. In verses 24 through 28, Jesus gives us two identifying markers of followers of Christ. First of all, he tells them that those who follow Christ will live a life of self-denial. Self-denial. That's what verse 24 is all about. If anyone wants to follow after me, here's what you're going to have to do. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow Jesus. A life of self-denial. We live in anything but a world of self-denial. We live in self-fulfillment, self-identity, self-understanding. For crying out loud, we invented the self-e. Can you just think about that? The selfie. Could there be anything more about you in all the world than snapping a picture of yourself for all the world to see? I love to do this in public. I'll, I'll see, like, you know, these girls, like, at Universal staging themselves for these pictures. So I'll just walk up and hug a pole. <laughs> Give me a break. Yeah, yeah. I want to see your selfie as bad as you want to see mine. Selfie, that's our world. We are in the individualistic society. That's what we're in. Now, everybody's got a megaphone, nobody's got a filter. Have you ever thought about putting a filter on your social media? It might help you. But now, you can be an expert on everything, a complainer about everything, a whiner about all things, the expert on everything, when the fact is we know little about mostly nothing. Ain't nobody want to hear that. Why don't you just stop? The reason that you do that is because it's all about you. You're whining, moaning, groping, complaining, bragging, boasting. Social media has put you into an individualistic world where you are king and you are queen and nobody can dethrone you and you're the authority on everything and you're the only thing that matters. My friend, Jesus tells us that is not the life that we're supposed to live. We're not supposed to be living a life promoting ourselves and loving ourselves and, 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 and propagating ourselves. We're to be denying ourselves. And watch this. We're to be taking up our cross. Folks, I'm sorry to break the news to you. Your cross is not a broken toenail. Well, it's just my cross. You know, I got COVID. It's just my cross to bear. That's not a cross. That's called like maybe suffering, maybe sickness, you know, but it's not a cross. A cross was a public, fatal execution. That's what it was. When Paul says, I will glory in the cross, he may as well have said, I glory in lethal injection. I glory in an electric chair. That's what the cross was. 
The cross was where people went to die. They did it publicly. And the bearing of the cross was a real thing. Jesus did it. John chapter number 20, Luke chapter number uh, 23, Matthew chapter 26. Uh, all those tell us Jesus carried his cross. He carried his cross to such a degree that he lost it under the weight. And they grabbed the man out of the crowd, right? Simon. And Simon carried Jesus' cross. You want to know what carrying the cross actually means? Simon, that's what it means. Carrying the death instrument of Jesus around with you publicly, visibly, fatally, and watch this, by choice. Because Jesus took his by choice. How many of y'all know, nobody took Jesus' life from him. He laid it down. This is the call of a disciple. Deny yourself, take up your cross, meaning bear the brunt of the message. Wear that cross beam proudly. Preach it. Identify with it. It's not about you. It's about him. Follow me, a life of self-denial. We named our son Brent. Uh, I, I, you know, I don't know. I'd have to ask Angie. She'd probably know. But the rest of the kids, I don't think we had a whole lot of sentimental thought to names. I don't remember. I don't think so. Adriana, honestly, we just like the name. We just like the name. Then we found out it's four syllables. That's a mouthful, okay? Um, yeah, I think Adriana. Yeah, I think, yeah, it's four syllables. <clears throat> so Brent, of course, we thought Brent, was, we thought Brent was, would be our last kid and so we started having these rules for um, these rules for his name, and one of them was one syllable. And, and of course, another one was we don't want to name him after somebody that we absolutely are. It is a confirmed case that they are a moron. <laughs> there were names I liked. And I'd say, yeah, I, I remember this one name, I said it, and as soon as I said it, we both started cracking up. Nope, can't name him that. The only, that name we know are a bunch of idiots, okay? So we can't, that, that's not, so then, then Brent was, was in the, like, made the top three. And I remember thinking to myself, I know a couple Brents, one in particular, who was just here a few weeks ago at the conference. Brent Armstrong, pastors Tucson Baptist Church in Tucson, Arizona. When he was my pastor, almost 20 years ago, I was admired, I admired his story because he had a very, 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 very lucrative job as a vice president for a large trucking company. And he was very well-to-do. And at that time, he walked away from his career to be a Christian school teacher not even making a fraction of what he made in his corporation, ultimately became a lead pastor and now pastors one of the largest Baptist churches in the whole city of Tucson. It's an extraordinary story. But at that time, I remember thinking to myself, you know, if there's one thing I want my son to be known for, my family to be known for, it is that the thing that matters most is Jesus and his church and his work. And I can't think of a better name in my world than that. Because that stuff matters. So he talks about a life of self-denial. And then he turns the corner in the next several verses and talks about a life with an eternal perspective. 
That's what verses 25 and following are all about. Look at this. He says here, make a choice. Whoever desires to save his life will lose it. Whoever will lose his life for my sake will find it. Isn't that interesting? You're trying to preserve your life. You're trying to protect your life. You're trying to keep your life for yourself. And then you lose it. But then when you give it all away, you find it. That's the message of Jesus. Every person that lives like this, hoarding their money, come on, hoarding their time, hoarding their spiritual gifts, non-committed. Why? Because i got to keep it for me. You lost it. But everybody who gives it away, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose, Jim Elliot. We've lost it. We're protecting ourselves. People have lost their minds. They've lost their minds during COVID. And it's exaggerated what was already true. We're self-preserving. We're trying to protect money. We're trying to protect time. We're trying to protect ourselves. And, and the whole time we're losing everything we could have invested you know you don't make an earning. You know you don't make a, a, a reap, a harvest when you don't invest what you've been given. What happened to the man that was given the talents by Jesus and went out and buried it in the earth? He didn't even give it to the bank to draw interest. What did Jesus say? What's wrong with you? You don't take your talents and bury it. You don't bury yourself in your home. You don't bury yourself behind your, uh, behind your social media and bury yourself under your pile of money and bury yourself under your own self-identity or whatever. No, no, no. You give it away, friend. And when you give it away, you sow it. And when you sow it, it is invested. And when it is invested, it yields a return. And that's what a lot of Christians do. Your life's all about you. And your life will reap the rewards of all about you, which is nothing. By trying to save it, you lost it. So what should we be focused on? Well, look at verse 26. What shall profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? What a challenge. I want to say this to anybody in this room who has not entered into a personal relationship with God's son, the Lord Jesus. I'm going to tell you something right now, friend. You can have everything this world has to offer you. You can have all the money, all the houses, all the stuff that you want. But in life, it's not about what you have. It's about who you have. You can gain the whole world and lose your own soul. Think about Tom Brady after winning, I think it was his sixth Super Bowl. Maybe it was his third Super Bowl. He was on the top of football world and still is. The man was interviewed on, I believe it was uh, one of those uh, 30 for 30 ESPN interviews. And the guy said, how does it feel? How does it feel? You're the best. You're, you're wealthy. You've got all the influence. You've got the houses, the cars, everything you want. You've been a three-time MVP, Super Bowl champion. You're a Hall of Fame quarterback already. How do you feel? And here's his answer. I don't really know. I feel like something's missing. Oh, Tom, something's missing, friend. Yes. Because you can win 100 Super Bowl MVPs and have $100 billion in your bank account and have a 100,000 square foot home. But if you don't have Jesus, you don't have what you need. 
There was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus that was outside of his gate full of sores, desiring to be fed with crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. It came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died. And in hell he lift up his eyes, being in torments. Friend, Lazarus had a name. You want to know why? Because his name was written in the book of life. He had a name because his name meant something to God. He didn't even have enough money to buy dinner at night. Come on. But he had Jesus, and when he died, he went to heaven. The rich man had no name. You want to know why? Because his name may have been on a plaque. It may have been on a parking space. It may have been on a door at a corner office. But his name was not where his name needed to be. His name was not in the book. And the memory of the wicked, according to the Bible, will rot. And when he died... He went to hell, and he did not take any of his stuff with him. What's it going to profit you, friend? If you gain all the world, get all the promotions, have all the money, and lose your own soul. What's that worth to you? Then Christ tells us about our focus and our reward, verse 27. What should our focus be? Eternal. For the Son of Man will come. Oh, somebody ought to say amen right there. That's it. That's good enough, isn't it? He will come. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. Why should we be sober? Why should we be vigilant? Why should we be focused? Why should we have perspective? Why should we give our lives away? Why should we invest? Why should we preach the gospel? Why should we carry our cross? Jesus is coming again. And... He's bringing his reward with him. One day the Lord will say to those who are faithful to this call, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Luke's gospel chapter 6, love your enemies, do good, lend, hope for nothing in return, watch it, and your reward will be great. 1 Corinthians 3, 14, if any man's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. A reward. You should be living your life right now like when you were born, you were crying, and everybody else was smiling. You should be living your life in such a way that when you die, you are smiling and everybody else is crying. Don't waste your 